When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics for DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Crisson. Fresh from watching one of the weirdest football games I've ever seen. How are you, Corey? Have you recovered? I'm still wondering what Mike Elko was thinking going for two there in the fourth quarter. Yeah. What a strange, strange decision. You're down 28-14. You score a touchdown on a free play, the freest play you'll ever see with more going over the top of the secondary. Then they go for two. Um, and then ultimately you have to save that cost them at the end of the day. So, you know, I, like you said, a weird, weird, first off, long football game, three and a half hours. Super. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's there's quite a bit to dissect out of this. Obviously, the defense was great in a lot of spots, and then they were able to hold, and then the offense, they look fine in the first half. Second half, ooh, not so much. I mean, so final score, 28-26. Um, it was even more of a nail-biter than that, I would say, um, if you really, really watched the, this game unfold. The defense won this game, period. Um, and the offense, aside from Izzy Abanacanda, did just about everything they could to give it back. Wayne was good, too. But uh, Keaton Slovis didn't take care of the ball. A couple picks, a couple crucial picks, kind of led to the big comeback. I, I mean, I have some questions. <laughs> Let's let her rip. That's why we're here. Towards the end of the game. Pitt is trying to seal this thing. They're up eight, right? Izzy Abanacanda has run the ball right down their throats all day. 17 carries, 113 yards, averaging 6.6 per carry. They decide to go with Sebo Flemister. And and I don't understand it because (laughs) – it's not as though I'm questioning whether Sebo is a decent running back, but in that situation, don't you want your guy in there to put the game away? Well, nothing was totally confirmed until Pat Narduzzi was asked directly in the press conference. I saw Izzy on the sideline throughout the latter stages of the game. And just from him walking around you know, moseying about, traipsing about the bench. He didn't look right to me. And that could have explained a lot in moment. You know, I had to kind of go for myself and say, well, where has he been? Is he in the tent? Is he in the locker room? Where is he? Where is Izzy, if you will? Right, right. And again, I saw him. There was a timeout. I don't remember exactly the moment, but it was, you know, midway through the fourth. 
And I looked at him and I said, you know, he's kind of favoring this right leg a bit. He doesn't really look right. So after the game, you know, we asked Coach Narduzzi, why wasn't Izzy, of course, we worded this more eloquently, why wasn't Izzy in on that final possession? And, you know, he basically said he wasn't available for it. And if he was, we would have had him in there. So an injury issue to Izzy Abanacanda is what kept him out of that series. And quite frankly, yeah. and quite frankly, it, it did limit him as far as volume goes in this game. Just 17 carries. He rushed for 113, and he was tremendous, 6.6 per carry. And then, of course, he catches, you know, a couple of passes, 21 yards, including that 19-yarder, or that uh, 20-yarder, I should say, to, to start the game. But, yeah, that, that's the explanation for it. Izzy got banged up, and also Kalijah Kansi got banged up. He didn't play the majority of the second half. He came out. It was a play that Shane Simon had a, a big, big, just tackle for loss sack in the backfield. And Cansey came up, you know, favoring, holding the shoulder, went to the injury tent, came out of the tent and went right to the locker room. Didn't even go about the sideline, just went straight to the locker room. So Narduzzi said, Kalijah's okay. You know, he'll update us later on that. And then Izzy, obviously, we'll see about next week now. he's He hasn't been hurt, hurt, but he has had a couple of issues. He's gotten nicked up here and there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So Either that's way, the explanation on that. I'm glad they actually had an answer for you because I was floored. And, and I was even thinking, like, okay, well, even if you're not going to use Izzy, where's Hammond? You know, I mean, like. I just want somebody that's got a little bit of experience I know is going to get that 10 yards in the three very predictable play calls that are coming, you know, and um, I don't know. It just didn't work out. It would have been really nice to see the offense at least step up and seal the deal there at the end. Um, the defense bent but didn't break and managed to kind of do just enough to uh, a score their own points and keep Duke off the board just enough. So, tight game. And I didn't expect it to be a blowout or anything. Duke has been decent this year. You know, I mean, they have the same record. It should be an evenly matched team. But, man, that got a little too close for comfort. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Duke is they have a really good rushing offense, and they didn't really have to lean on that that much. They threw the ball, I want to say all over Pitt, but they threw the ball – Jordan Moore had 20 targets, according to the stat book that I received right after the game. Right, 14 catches on 20 targets for a buck 99, and then he had, of course, that touchdown. And I was shocked that Duke threw it as many times as they did. 45 attempts for Riley Leonard, uh, 290 through the air, three touchdowns, no picks. He had a really solid day throwing the ball. And, you know, Pitt made some errors on defense. You know, Eric Hallett getting burned on the wheel route for the touchdown. Sure. Um, a couple of penalties that were just, you know, even special teams, and that's a whole other show, trying to dissect what the heck is going on with Pitt's special teams. Um, aside from Ben yeah. Sauls, aside from Ben Sauls, who um, new career high, 51-yard field goal for him. Too many just uncharacteristic, weird mistakes for Pitt, and then like you said, they made the two big plays when it mattered. There was the David Green strip, Brandon Hill, 30-yard fumble recovery for the touchdown. And and that's the fifth defensive touchdown of the season for Pitt, which ties a program record for the season. Um, and that's 10 over the last two years. They got five again last year. 
and then they had five in a season in the 80s. So if that just shows how this unit, and again, a, bu- a bunch of the players that were on this team last year, still on the team this year, it's the same unit. They're creating these turnovers. They're scoring touchdowns. And, you know, you get the, the Brandon Hill scoop and score. And then, of course, with the Philly special, Duke special, the Durham special, call it what you want, at the end of the game that, that Duke tried on the two-point, Credit to John Morgan flushing it was more out of the pocket and and Servassier was right there to clean it up. So, you know, the big players, David Green, Brandon Hill, John Morgan, Servassier Dennis, they made the plays when they counted. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a two point game. That's probably the difference right there for you. It sure is, man. Uh, we gotta take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about a little bit of the press conference. I heard some of the quotes from some of the seniors and I kind of had a few questions about that, too. All right, and we're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. And Corey, I, I watched a lot of the tweets coming out of the press conference. I saw some from you, you know, Carter, Carter was out there as well. So I was reading a lot of different things. First of all, I should also touch on really classy the way they came out of the tunnel with the Virginia flag today. Um, so weird seeing the news and, and knowing that you had just left there, my friend, like, you know, I, frightening situation down there i thought everybody handled it across the country really really well and uh really cool seeing the way even some of the pit players handled it in the press conference so you can touch on that if you like yeah uh really i'm not gonna say terrifying because i actually wasn't there for it but a real just awakening shocking thing you know less than 24 hours after not just myself but of course you know, Pitt, the team, the media contingency, everybody that traveled, the traveling party, you know, less than a day after leaving that campus, this tragedy, horrific, this awful tragedy happens. And it puts things in perspective. I'm sure you and those that are listening heard Pat Narduzzi on Monday talk about it. Yeah. And you could tell he was physically, you know, he was very dejected over the entire situation, which, of course, anybody would be. And it was tough. That was a tough press conference to work through because you do have to get to football at some point. But right. when something like this happens, you also have to keep perspective. And then throughout the week, obviously, you know, we see the the backing, like you mentioned, the tremendous backing that this country had put around the community of Charlottesville. And then today during the game, of course, Pitt runs out with the UVA flag. Marquez Williams carried it out. They wore a Virginia sticker on their helmets. So a nice classy gesture. There was a moment of silence before the game. So I really appreciate that Pitt did it the way they did it, especially given, you know, all of the circumstances. Especially as quickly as they have to figure out how to put something like that together too. I heard like the flag was made in about 48 hours by a staffer. Like just really cool little tidbits like that and, and classy. And our thoughts are with everybody in Virginia. That was crazy. Um. Let's get to football, though. Like you said, it is difficult. Um, 
in the press conference, I saw more than one player talk about not necessarily being 100% sure what they were doing next year. Now, not all of these guys are people that are borderline declaring, but they may have another year of eligibility. And I'm starting to get the idea with that and some of the decommits recently that perhaps we might be on the verge of watching some things start to crumble at Pitt. What do you think? It's a slippery slope right now. Um, I'll start with the decommits in brief. On Monday, Kenny Minchie, four-star quarterback out of Tennessee, he tweeted that he's decommitting from Pitt. And like the whole universe is projecting him now to go to Notre Dame. And then right. on and then on Friday, Zion Fowler, a three-star out of New Jersey, wide receiver, tweeted that he's decommitting. Now, who knows where he's going. But still, this also, keep in mind, comes not long. It, it was a while, but not long after Hakeem Williams, top wide receiver out of Florida, committed to Florida State over Pitt. That was a big deal a couple of months ago. So Pitt loses a recruit. And then two decommit, two that were supposed to be rock solid prospects, and that's all this is is prospects. Gary, you're a pirates guy, I know. You know, I know how much you talk about <laughs> the prospects, and we got We got to get to know these prospects, but that's what they are. You know, that's true. Not, that's and, true. They, and you got to transition from high school to college. So it's no guarantee that Kenny Minchie is the next Peyton Manning, and it's no guarantee that Zion Fowler is the next Calvin Johnson. You know, but at the same right. time. When you're a when you're a head coach and when you're Pat Narduzzi, when you're uh, Tyquan Underwood putting time now into Zion Fowler, when you're now Frank Signetti, then it was Mark Whipple putting time into these players. The simple math draws out to be: if you're spending time on player A, you're not spending time with player B. So keeping those recruits and keeping those commits invested and committed is important now more than ever. So that, I don't know what the trickle down effects long-term are about these commits and decommits, but it's really odd given the timing of Minchie and Fowler being in the same week. That's very odd to me. So on to the senior day stuff. There are 29 seniors on the pit roster but because of the extra year afforded by the pandemic only eight were guaranteed to be playing in their final game at Akershire Stadium obviously Miami and then a bowl game um, absolutely Derek Kyler Carter Warren Marcus Miner Jake Cradle Gabe Hoy Deslin Alexander Miles Kenton Tyler Wiltz those are your eight that are done as Panthers after these next two Painful enough as it is. So, yes, let's move on. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. And then there's a bunch that – so, 19 – there's 19 that walked on senior day. Eight were were given gone. That means 10 seniors with one year of eligibility did not walk um, as part of senior day. And then, you know, the rest walked. One of those 10 that did not walk was Jared Wayne. And we got him after the game on the press conference. And, of course, we asked him, you know, have you thought about it? What, what do you think? And 
I qu- I'm quoting him directly. He said, quote, up in the air right now. I'm just focused on helping this team win. That's all I could say about that. End quote. So we get Eric Hallett after the game. Hallett, he did walk today, but he has one year of eligibility remaining. And to quote him directly, he said, quote, I'm still trying to finish the season, end quote, and that he's going to make his final decision on next season after this season ends. So, first, we should say that's completely understandable. They're allowed to not have an answer right now. I'm not questioning their motives. I'm not claiming that we know they're leaving. I'm just trying to, I guess, connect some dots because something happened this year that has definitely cost them on the recruiting trail and has a lot of players sounding like they are a lot less committed. Last year, these answers, Corey, just you weren't on this beat, but these answers last year around this time were, hell yeah, we got unfinished business. That's not what I'm hearing now. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, the turnover on the offensive side, okay, the turnover of Mark Whipple to Frank Signetti, it's one thing, right? And then there's the element of Eric Hallett might be in a different boat than maybe Jared Wayne because he might have a little bit more NFL buzz. That does factor into a lot of this. And by the way, uh, of the seniors that are either, you know, for sure done or didn't walk or have one year left, whatever, uh, or even on the players on the Pitts roster, I think right now sitting in this seat on November 19th, I think Carter Warren, who's definitely gone. I think Servasier Dennis. I think Kalaja Kansi. And I think Hobba Baldonado. Those four, as we sit here right now, have NFL draft stock. That if they said we're gone, and that of course meaning Dennis, Kansi, and Baldonado, then I think they would have a good chance getting drafted. Definitely Kansi. Definitely Servassier and probably Haba. Haba probably played his stock down a little bit because just of the year he's had statistically. Cansey, I mean, it's so easy to make the Aaron Donald comparison. And then Voss, teams like smart linebackers. Smart linebackers and smart centers. I've talked to scouts about smart centers, and the same applies to smart linebackers. Smart linebackers can play forever. Because they're exactly that. They're durable. They know where to be position-wise. They could play defensive snaps, third down, special teams. They could do just about everything. And Servassier certainly qualifies for that. But that's, again, sitting right here on November 19 talking about this. And that's right. another trickle-down effect and another domino that could fall. And another great show topic that we'll probably take advantage of later on and, and do more justice to. But for right now, I guess for me, I, you hit on it. I think the change in coordinator um, on the offensive side has probably done some damage to some of that offensive recruiting class. And uh, that happens. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a total loss or anything. And maybe they just are going to target different kinds of athletes at this point. It's just something that I think a lot of Pitt fans were kind of hoping we weren't going to experience again. Um, you know, you built the team up to a certain point kind of felt like the momentum was on your side. The ACC is takeable. They just proved it last year. 
And you kind of hoped that Pitt would be able to stay in that conversation a little bit longer. I don't expect them to be Clemson, but there's no reason they can't be the Clemson of the of the uh, Atlantic side, at least, or, you know. <laughs> sure. Or the Coastal, I mean. Sure. So. Yeah, you want that momentum, you know. Anytime you can win the league and, and be on the national stage and – get all this attention you want to try to capitalize on it as best you can. And then stuff like this happens. You lose the steam, you lose the luster, you pick up some really bad losses. And then the stuff with recruiting now, and it, you know, it can snowball. So, you know, these are critical months here over these next right. few for Pitt. They really are in terms of the direction of the program and, and, just the tone that it's going to have over the next several years. I mean, that said, they got a chance at eight and four. Uh, if they can beat Miami next week, that's a pretty decent season. Um, probably puts them in a, a little bit better bowl game than the Duke's Mayo bowl that was predicted like last week, you know, so you may end up getting to something a little bit better than that. A note on that, by the way, I can confirm today at the game that, Sun Bowl representatives were talking to Heather Like on the field. I saw it with my own two peepers. So awesome. Um, we'll see. Sun Bowl, I know that brings some bad flashbacks back to some pit fans, but uh, El Paso, Texas could be a destination. Well, I mean, it's better than, you know, squeaking in with six wins. So, I mean, I would really like to see them finish the season strong. I do think the team started to come together a little bit more as the season went on. And then, uh, then we get to play that uh, annual game of who's going to play and who's not because of their NFL draft status, right? So let's, uh, let's go ahead and transition into another program that has slipped, which is basketball. And let's do it right now. Let's not even take a break. Basketball has been a problem. <laughs> you just got back from New York, right? Um, I they played VCU and Michigan over there. The Michigan game, I think we'll touch on it a little bit, was a total blowout. Um, the VCU game felt like Pitt should have won it, to be honest with you. They, they really were in this one, and they end up losing at 71-67. I mean, Corey... <laughs> How much longer do you give Capel? I'm I'm not saying they're going to fire him mid-season or something, but the buyout number makes sense this year. Finally, it's it's hitting five million. We know that yeah, they got to be thinking about it at least. Oh, that Michigan game was as bad as it got, wasn't it? Yeah, brutal, and and the body language was worse than the result. I Every mean, player on the court looked like they quit. John Hughley coming back, it's supposed to bring some sizzle and some juice and some fun and some energy, but after about after about a 15 minutes or so, it was just gone. I mean, they held, and it was a close game after the first half, but that second half was brutal from every standpoint you could potentially put a finger on. It just was too yeah. many turnovers, too many fouls. Hunter Dickinson didn't need to have his best game. You know, Michigan got scoring from just about everybody. They had 
handful of double-digit scores. They had a couple more players that had eight, one more that had seven. So they had a really balanced attack against Pitt. Pitt not having Will Jeffries, okay, put a little bit on that. But when you are just slopping it through your sets and ugly passes and bad shot selection and turning the ball over and fouling more, like, it felt like it was a continuation of what we saw against West Virginia. Yeah. But, of course, Michigan is a better team than West Virginia. They can. And Michigan's another a team that, you know, they can really put one on you if they get hot shooting. So they got hot shooting on top of playing an inferior opponent. And, man, it really manifested itself. I don't want to make it sound like there's nothing there, you know? Jamar Burton has something. Nellie Cummings has something. The twins look okay at times. You know? Hughley, when he gets fully healthy, which I don't believe he is. No. Boy, and he didn't boy, play it. Did yeah, he just did not look healthy against Michigan, and he looked obviously like nothing against VCU because he wasn't there. Right. It's it's uh it's a problem, but when you get all them on the feet, on the court together, my problem is I don't know what they're trying to do. That's the issue. That's coaching. I'm sorry. It is. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I don't have to sit there and ask him questions in a press conference. So I can, and I doubt he's listening, but, and I don't expect you to bash him either, but the seat's got to be hot. The basketball team looks like a hot mess. You know what stuck out to me against Michigan from that standpoint, from coaching and from all of that? Michigan was up, I don't know, 20 at this point. It was getting ugly. Jeff Capel's sitting on the bench. You know, he's coaching, but he's sitting on the bench. Jawan Howard, out of his seat, actively directing, pointing. Vocal. Right. You could hear him. You could hear him. I sat in the 115th section, up, up, not the top, but up in the concourse area, and you can hear Jawan Howard coaching and still active vocally and didn't hear much of it from Cable, to be honest. And Jeff Cable, if you're listening, you know what you are. Like, I don't know, man. You got a lot to figure out because the schedule – while, of course, there's some non-conference left, there's, you know, Alabama State on Sunday by the time this show comes out. There's Fairleigh Dickinson, there's William and Mary, there's winnable games. But you don't want to stack so many issues and compound so many issues that by the time conference play comes around, which, by the way, opens at Syracuse and then against North Carolina, the number one team in the country. Right. You don't want to compound so many issues that your checklist, so to speak, is running off the page before you get to conference play and you're, you're all of a sudden in it. You know, again, yeah. the, the fouls, the turnovers, the shot selection, the, de- oh, the defense. Don't get me going on the defense. I'm going to get you going on the defense, but we're going to take a break first because oh, we, boy. we just have to discuss it. Sure thing.
All right, and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Gary and Corey with you. We're still talking basketball. I apologize if you watched both of those games and you're reliving them with us, but you deserve it. You're a Pitt fan. You ought to be used to it. So let me get you started here, Corey. I know how to get your juices flowing. Years and years of the Big East taught me to understand the difference between a zone and a man-to-man defense from watching Bayheim coach it year after year after year and beat the living crap out of my favorite basketball team year after year after year with it. Um, ben Howland and Jamie Dixon teams traditionally struggled against the zone. Bayheim ran a zone against them constantly, and he just was torturous with it. Because of that, I got to the point where I could recognize the defense pretty easily. I've watched four pit basketball games this year. I haven't a clue what the hell they're trying to run. Oh, I've watched four pit basketball games as well, really three and a half. And I have no clue either. There's just, it's flat, dude. Like, I wish I could put a finger on. Like, they managed Hunter Dickinson, okay? Let's just start at Michigan. They managed Hunter Dickinson as best as they could. That's a player that, entering that game, was putting up 28 points and and 9.5 rebounds a game, you know, in that ballpark. He was having a phenomenal start to the season. And they limit him to 11 points, and I think it was 7 rebounds. I don't have the box score in front of me. But the point is, he didn't have... The spectacular game. It was 11 points and 7 rebounds, by the way. Now I have the box score in front of me. And he, but, <laughs> but Dickinson only played 25 minutes. Only one Michigan starter played more than 25 minutes in that game. It was Kobe Bufkin, who had 14 points. Which ought to tell you what kind of competition they thought they were playing. Right. And they went deep into their bench, of course, late in the game. But also, Joey Baker, 22 minutes off the bench. Doug McDaniel, 21 minutes off the bench. Terrace Reed, 12 minutes. Jace Howard, 12 minutes. So it's not like Michigan ran all of their A1 players the whole game, right? They subbed in quite a lot. They used quite a bit. And, of course, the game got out of hand and, you know, garbage time, et cetera. But how did we get there? Again, a half-decent job on Hunter Dickinson is only the first step. From there, it's about switching and movement and communication and all of these little factors that if you want to have any, and I mean any semblances of of success, you can't allow 53 points in the second half or an A half. You can't do it. You can't in college. No, you No, in college. It's even worse. You just can't do it. And the problem that I have, obviously, Hughley being not 100%, he still played 22 minutes in that game. Him not being 100% is one thing, but for Capel to not play the Twins on Wednesday was incredibly confusing to me. Very confusing. I would agree with you. Yeah. I thought we were going to see Guillermo and Jorge. Guillermo played three minutes against Michigan. Jorge plays 10 Federico plays 15. I don't know what the plan was, to be truthfully honest with you, Gary. I don't, I don't either, because then the very next night, he plays them 30 and 20, 
and he tells he tells the um the press including you that they were super impactful (laughs) well not including me i wasn't at thursday's game but i watched it and but point is they did have an impact on the vcu game but i think we talked about on this very show last week about that michigan matchup and size and how much that mattered in length and how much that mattered sure hunter dickinson again didn't have the best game but he didn't need to their players, Michigan's players were still able to drive and get to the paint and get to the hole and just rifle right through Pitt's defense. I think I tweeted it during the game, something along the lines of get to the hole, bucket, repeat. That was the offense. Like they just went right through Pitt. And again, Pitt had to empty its bench a little bit. They went Nate Santos 13 minutes, Fede only 15. And then Sabande played 19. I couldn't tell you, Gary. This is not a knock on him personally. I could not tell you a play where Nike Sabande made an impact in that game. I mean, you could rinse and repeat that the whole season in all sincerity. Couldn't tell you a play. Cummings, Cummings, of course, with the turnovers again. And the rushed and forced shots and, you know, the the poor – Poor ball distribution and yeah. Hidson looked awful. You know? Pick there your was, poison. There was no flow. There was no f- fun. There was no energy in this game. I mean, when I you're. I gotta say though, like you can lose ahead. a game like that. You can lose a game like that to Michigan. Okay. But what a good coach will do is he'll take that moment in the second half where there's about seven minutes left and he'll call a timeout. And he'll pull his guys over and he'll say, listen, forget the score. You're not, you're not in this game. I understand that a lot happened. I'm putting my best five back out there. I want to see what we practiced. Run the offensive sets. Run the defensive sets. Let's win this last seven minutes. See what we can do. Take it into the next game. <laughs> I didn't see it. I saw slumped shoulders. I saw dropped heads. I saw like guys stop paying attention, waving arms at guys as they wave past them. It's just not what you should see from a power five conference team. No, no, no effort. I mean, hardly any effort. Um, You know, when you're in these situations, these early season tournaments too, you got more viewers than just, you know, playing Alabama state with all due respect to that program. On a two on a random Sunday at the Pete at two p.m., you you got more eyes on you when you got Michigan yeah. in front of you. So, just the the performance in general is just awful, I, I, just god awful. There was nothing to take away from this game as a positive note at all. It was a total and complete collapse and a failure to launch. And you go back to the drawing board. I'll credit the close game against VCU, I guess. But again, Michigan goes on a 9-0 run. It started with two minutes to play. Brandon Johns Jr., Zeb Jackson, by the way, Michigan transfers. So give Michigan another right. another W there. But that 9-0 run killed them. It ended the game. It effectively ended the game. And then it played, you know, free throw game and tried to chuck up a couple threes and miss them. And, you know, what did we say at the beginning of the season, too? Pitt was going to be a shrieky shooting team. Yeah, they're making twenty four percent of three pointers over these last three games. Twenty four percent. You can you can hope it's a really bad streak to start, and they'll get hot. But I mean, the bottom line is that they just haven't 
shown basketball competence yet. And I'm probably going to end the show on that note because I think that's what we need to hope for this week. Against inferior opponents that are coming up here, show us basketball competence. Let's start there. We'll hope for it. It starts on Sunday when this uh, podcast drops. And, of course, we'll be back after I am home from Miami to recap not just Pitt's football week, but also the basketball week. We want to hope that we're talking some positives after this week in basketball. Absolutely. And uh, without further ado, hail to Pitt still. (laughs) 